And so, Lord, we ask that you may come and speak to us this evening. Please, Lord, as I read your word, as I share from your word, I ask that you will speak to us powerfully and yet simply. I commit every person this evening in your presence. I commit them to you, Lord, that you will come and do as you desire. I ask that as your word comes, there will be encouragement. Some of us might be rebuke. There will be a reminder of your promise. I ask, Lord, that you will freely move because you're sovereign and there is no other like you. And so I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. It's a joy to see all of you. Wow, praise the Lord. A hand clap to the Lord that we are able to gather in his presence this evening. And uh, our subject, our topic for discussion is uh, salvation is found nowhere else except the name of Jesus Christ. Salvation is found nowhere else except the name of Jesus Christ. That the name of Jesus is not like any other name. That when you hear the name of Jesus, many of us have been to gatherings and so many places where there are introductions. And uh, so there's somebody who will be introduced and you notice that the entire crowd is moved. Do you know people like that? When they say, ladies and gentlemen, with us is so and so and everybody goes like, Whoa! Now, the name of Jesus is supposed to sound like that in the midst of believers. Amen? That when I mention Reverend Florence, Reverend Tendo, Reverend uh, the Provost, yes, you clap and you're excited, but when you hear the name Jesus, the house goes on fire. Why? It is the source of our salvation. The name of Jesus is the source of our salvation. It is not like any other name. This name, when you call on it, you are saved. We sang earlier that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are delivered. Hallelujah. So salvation is found in no one else except the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you know, these words are from Acts chapter 4 and uh, verse 12. Let me just read that verse. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And for us to appreciate why these words are being said, why these words are proclaimed at this point in this text, we ought to go back to verse 1. I'm, so I'm going to read Acts chapter chapter 4, from verse 1 all the way to verse 12. And then we'll appreciate why these words are so profound in the life of a believer. Listen and follow with me. Acts chapter 4, reading from verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew about 5,000, to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. 
Anas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Praise the name of the Lord. And so we have a situation before us. Peter and John are standing together. And uh, the crippled beggar is also not far, formerly crippled, uh, because by the power of Jesus Christ, who was crucified by evil men, according to this text, and was raised by the power of God Most High, Peter and John are standing in the presence of people, and uh, amongst these people are high officials, high-ranking officials. And these two people are testifying to two things. One is that they are testifying that Jesus was killed, crucified. He was buried, but he didn't stay there. He was raised to, to life. And so they are witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But not only that, the second thing they are testifying to is that by the name of Jesus Christ, there is a cripple, formerly cripple, who has been healed. And so they are saying Jesus is alive, but also he has used us to perform this miracle that is before us. Praise the name of the Lord. And so they have been challenging the crowd about the resurrection of Jesus, but also the power that brings, you know, impossibles to be possible. They are giving testimony that and they are challenging the crowd to repent. There are people in Solomon's colonnade gathered and so Peter and John are saying to them, repent of your sins. They are saying, turn to God, be renewed and be refreshed because there is power in the risen Jesus Christ. And so they are continuing in this conversation. They are saying to the crowd that the time that the prophets talked about is actually here. Because in Joel chapter 2, we are told about this day. And so part of this day, beyond just the final day, the final judgment day, is the day of the Messiah. And so the Messiah has come, he reigns, he lives, and so we don't have to wait any longer because Jesus is with us by his spirit and there is power, there is testimony to his resurrection, to his presence with us. In other words, 
all of you that are listening, salvation has come for all who believe. And so as they are enjoying that conversation, I'm sure as Peter is flying and flowing, testifying to the power of the Lord, while they were still testifying, we are told that the priests, the temple guards, and the Sadducees came up. And when they came up, it was not coming up to enjoy this good news of a former cripple that is now flying and dancing. Their coming up is to oppose the message of Peter and John. And so these people, of course, the priests, the temple guards, for them, they are for their positions. It's because they want to be on top of everybody else. They want to be praised by every person. And so they are not comfortable that there is another name that they thought they had dealt with. But the name is coming up again. That's the name of Jesus. So for them, the priests and the temple guards and, you know, these people, that's their problem. But the Sadducees, their problem is a bit different. Their problem is that they do not believe in resurrection. And so Peter is busy telling people that Jesus was raised to life. And he's actually giving hope to these people that you too, if you believe in Jesus Christ, even when you die, you will live again. So the Sadducees have a problem because they do not believe in life after death. They don't even believe in heaven or even hell. For them, their faith is in the now. And so they are angry at Peter and John because their message makes them enemies of God. If they say God brings resurrection, God has prepared life after death, and the Sadducees are opposing that message. So then, when Peter and John are preaching, the Sadducees appear to be enemies of God, and yet they are projecting a picture that they are friends, actually servants of the Most High God. So it's a problem for them. Everybody that is ruling at the time finds it difficult. It says in verse 2, if you may read with me, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They are not simply angry. They are not simply annoyed that uh, by the time the sun goes down, they'll be okay. You know what I'm saying? they are greatly disturbed. It's not just simple anger, like, oops, my water poured. No, 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 no. It's a question of life and death. Our positions are dying. Our doctrine is challenged. They were greatly disturbed. But now listen, that as they are greatly disturbed, we are given information that as Peter and John are saying, there's some good news that their preaching had been effective. The Holy Spirit couldn't be stopped by anybody. Why? Because we see the number of believers increasing from 3,000 to 5,000. Hallelujah. And so there is opposition, but there is growth. Can I hear a hand clap to the Lord? There is opposition, but there is growth. Why? Because God cannot be stopped. Listen, if you are here and you are the devil's agent, know it from me, from the word of the Lord, God cannot be stopped. 
Hello, if you are here on assignment, listen. If you are here and you are a Sadducees, I don't know, a temple guard, what are the other names? Whatever you are, whatever name you've been given in the 21st century, know that God cannot be stopped. So these guys are opposed. But we are growing from 3,000 to 5,000. Hallelujah. And so Peter and John are dragged into prison and we are told that the next day Peter and John faced these men. Listen, just in case you missed it, these are not ordinary men. These are men who actually sentenced Jesus to death. So as Peter and John are coming to face them, it is on record that these are the guys who actually sentenced your master, the one you're preaching, to death. So, just in case you thought we are playing games, or oh, these guys are not serious, they are just threatening us. Hey, they crucified who? Jesus. They sentenced him to death. I mean, we are reading Anas, Caiaphas, and members of the high priest's family. These are the victims. So, the, the accusers, these guys that sentenced Jesus, ask a question. They ask, by what power or what name? did you do this? By what power or by what name did you do this? I want you to listen to this question closely. Do you notice in a way they are saying we are the ones that give power to people to go and talk about God? When they ask by what power or whose name, everybody else who is going out to claim to be serving the Lord should come in the name of the Sadducees. They should say something like this. Caiaphas has sent us. Okay, And as far as these people are concerned, nobody sent Peter and John to go out into Solomon's colonnade to begin preaching Jesus Christ. So they are confused. They are asking, by what power or what name did you do this? Or they are asking, in other words, who gave you permission? You guys who gave you permission. And I can tell you, they were talking about the healing of this crippled beggar. The question, notice, the question is not that this miracle is fake or whether it's fake or right. The question, everybody acknowledges that this miracle has happened. So what is in contention is by whose power or what name? So for starters, they acknowledge that there is something miraculous that has happened. But maybe in asking this question, they want to say, maybe Peter and John used evil powers like they had earlier claimed for Jesus. And then Jesus says, come on, a house divided against itself. There is no way I can come in the name of demons to drive out demons. That's impossible. But they want to bring back the same claim over Peter and John. Because they see the former cripple, the former beggar, everybody is seeing him dancing and, dan and, and jumping. The other day, he was begging. They saw him. Today, he is jumping. They see him. And so it's difficult. So these guys probably also want to create a scenario that is so scary for Peter and John so Peter and John can say, well, we are not sure because those are claims of the people. They want Peter and John to get scared and um, say, well, perhaps um, we don't know much about this thing. Do you remember the man was, who was scared in John chapter 9? They asked him, by, are, you, are you sure you were like this? 
said, well, I, whether I, this man is, uh, is wicked or not, I don't know. But what I know is that I was blind and now I can see. Okay? It's, it's the nature of the devil to create a situation of doubt or to create a situation of discrediting the power of the Most High God. But in this scenario, as the devil is working on that, we hear the response of Peter. And listen, when Peter is responding, the scripture says, filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 8, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you notice that Peter, rather than being scared, he actually sees a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to preach to this particular group. Because this is not a group that is going to look out for a crusade where they're announcing Jesus. But now that they are all seated and settled, they are waiting to hear from Peter. Peter seizes the moment and he uses this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to preach the gospel. Hallelujah. And then he doesn't miss his words. He says, it was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You know him, this Jesus you crucified, but God could not allow you to do such a wicked thing. He raised him to life. Hallelujah. And then he uses this moment to do some small Bible study. Young people say Bible study, small, small. You know, he did Bible study with them at this moment. He quotes Isaiah. He quotes the Psalm 118 when he uses the words, the stone you build as rejected, which has become the cup stone. Praise the name of the Lord. Apparently, these guys are supposed to be building God's spiritual house. They are supposed to be encouraging people into forgiveness, the gift of God of salvation to a dying world. They are supposed to be participating in that building work, and Jesus is supposed to be their capstone, cornerstone, but they have rejected that and they have chosen to you know, to boast and to think their pride is what is going to take them places. They have rejected Jesus, and in rejecting Jesus, they have rejected the capstone that is supposed to help them build this spiritual building. Amen? And so, I don't know what is going on in Peter's mind, but as he continues to explain to them what is happening, he wants all people to be saved. I mean, in verse 10, we read these words. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel. So the focus of Peter is not really these guys. The focus is, yes, these guys, but also all the people of Israel. Peter is aware that all people need to be saved. All people of the world must be saved. And so he says, pay attention, you guys and all Israel and everybody else. Salvation is so important to all of us that we should not get too busy and ignore being saved. Can I say that again? 
Do not get so busy, even busy in church, and forget to be born again. The scriptures declare, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, clap for the Lord. And so, Peter understands this, and he makes it very clear. The good news is that Jesus can and will save whoever chooses to trust him, even this evening. Amen? Amen. Jesus can save. Jesus is willing, and he is able. There's no question about that. And Peter understands this. Peter himself is saved, and so he knows the joy of salvation. And so even when he spent the night uh, chilling in the prison cells, what occupies his mind and his tongue is you guys need to be saved. And I will not lie to you tonight. Do not be deceived unless you are born again. You cannot see, live alone entering the kingdom of God. Amen? Do not get so busy so occupied. Do not get lost in activity and ignore the fact that you must personally acknowledge Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. That's the point Peter is making. And he says there is no salvation anywhere else. It is in the name of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, Postmodernism will tell you, you're not saying it's only one way, only Jesus. That's being dogmatic. It's, it's being narrow-minded to say that salvation is only through Jesus. What about other religions? Listen, there's surely some, there are some good, good things in some other religions. I can't deny that. There's something good in Hindu. You know what I'm saying? There's some good things in Islam. You know, take care of the needy, the orphans, and you know, those are good things. Hello? They are, there are some good things in African tradition religion. It takes a village to raise a child. It takes, you know, those are good things. There are some bits and pieces of some good things. But let me tell you, there is no salvation Salvation in all those religions. Salvation is on, in only Jesus Christ. Crucified by the Jews. Not just crucified by the Jews. Crucified for our sins. So do not get lost in the fact that these are the guys who orchestrated and, you know, you know, you sentenced Jesus and, you know, he was crucified on the cross. And you, so you, you, you spend all your time hating the Pharisees, hating the Sadducees, hating all these law guys. Don't waste time hating them. Think about the reason Jesus allowed those guys to treat him the way they treated him. That was for your sins and for your salvation. Amen? Amen? That's the reason. And salvation is nowhere else. Nobody else has been crucified for your sins except Jesus. God himself is the author of salvation. He's the one whom our sins offend. You see, when you sin against your parents or against your spouse, yes, they are angry at you or you know, but ultimately, our sins offend God. Yes, my spouse may sin against me and I'm offended, but I am equally a sinner, okay? 
So I also offend them in one way or another. I offend my fellow clergy, my neighbors. I do that the whole time. They too offend me many times. But listen, it is only God who is holy without sin. And so every sin offends only God. And that is why he is the source of salvation. Because he is the one against whom we were, you know, fighting. And that is why salvation comes from him. Amen. Amen. Peter makes that very clear. And Jesus qualifies. Why? Philippians 2, 6 to 8 says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature a servant of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And so what would happen? Verse 9 to 11. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, even all saints cathedral this evening and underneath the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. It's Jesus who meets the standard for our salvation and that is why when he goes through whatever he goes through God exalted him. And your role, my role, is to confess him, worship him. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Everyone bows before him. Listen, even when you do not do it this evening, even when you know of people who do not confess Christ as Lord and Savior, there is surely going to be a time when the trumpet sounds Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. There is going to be a time where the guys that have been shining on me, giving me hard time, opposing the gospel, there is a time when it will be proved that they were wrong and I was right. Amen? There is going to be a time when everybody will know it was worth it. The suffering was worth it. The endurance was worth it. There is going to come a time when you will say, my fasting was worth it. Because every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord.